want to start with a couple questions this morning. Why do you think God allows people to experience tests and trials? Bring them closer to Him? So they can see for themselves their weaknesses? Good. Prepare them to think be helpful to others. Those are all good reasons. When people are confronted by trials and testing, what do we often say? Why me? It's not fair. Sometimes people even go as far as to say, I quit. I give up. I can't do it anymore. Another question, another way to look at this. Have you ever looked at someone that was going through a test or a trial and thought that somehow, because of that, that they were spiritually immature? Sad to say, we probably all have done that. We have that, sometimes look at somebody that's going through something and say, you know, if they would just pray more, if they would just... Draw closer to God. Let me, just for what it's worth, I'll say this. The Bible is full of great people of faith that went through trials and tests. That were really close to God. And we're going to talk about one this morning, and that would be Abraham. Now, let me say this. God does not tempt us to do evil. Let's read James 1 and 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So, God does not tempt us to do evil. Let's read 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. But he will, according to this scripture, test our faith. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by even though refined by fire, may be proven proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It says that we will be reproved as gold. The way that gold is refined is that it's heated until it melts. And when it melts, all of the impurities float off. And what is left when those impurities are are taken out is pure gold. And that's what testing does to us. Probably the best example in the entire Bible of this is the person we're going to talk about today, and that's Abraham. Let's go to Genesis 22, read verses 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. You know, when I read that, I thought, how wonderful is that scripture right there? God spoke to him, said, Abraham, and the first thing that comes out of Abraham's mouth is, here I am going on then god said take your son 
your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, let's look at a map here. When God spoke to Abraham, he was in the southern part of what was then Canaan. He was in an area called Beersheba. Okay? This is the southern part of Canaan. Up here is Jerusalem. With that in mind, let's look at a little bit of geography. The Bible doesn't say exactly the land of where the land of Moriah is. However, it does say that he traveled three days to get there. That's about the time it would take to travel from Beersheba to the area of Jerusalem. If you look in other places in the in the, you, the Old Testament, the Used Testament, as opposed to the New Testament, I don't know where that came from. <coughs> um, Solomon built his temple on a mountain called Moriah, and that was outside of Jerusalem. So, taking all that in consideration, it probably tells us that it was somewhere in the area of Jerusalem. And it's interesting to note that later on, that in that same vicinity, there would be animals sacrificed to God as a sacrifice to cover sins. It's also interesting to point out that even later in the Bible, in that same area, Jesus Christ was sacrificed for our sins. All in that same little area. I don't know that there could have been a more severe test for Abraham than what he went through at this point. God started off the conversation with reaffirming to Abraham how important Isaac was to him. He told him that he was his only son, and he told him it's the son that you love. This scripture right here in Genesis 22 is the first time the word love is used in the Bible. And he was reaffirming to Abraham, this is your only son that I promised you. This is the son that you love. And then he told him what he wanted him to do. He said, now what I want you to do with that son is to take him to this place that I'll show you and offer him as a sacrifice. That had to sound like the biggest contradiction that had ever been uttered in time. Abraham had waited for 25 years for God to fulfill the promise that his descendants would come through the son that he would give him. And after all of these years, at a 100 years old, he has this son. And now after a few years, his son was at least a teenager, maybe in his early 20s. But after this amount of time, then God says, I want you to take this son, your only means of the promise that I have given to you coming to pass. I want you to take this son and I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice. And you know what? The Bible does not give any indication that God gave him any more instructions than that right there. Take your son that you love, your only son, and take him to the place I'll show you and offer him as a sacrifice. We read that in the Bible 
And we go, yeah, but we know what happened. But Abraham didn't know what was going to happen. When he was in on this side of the problem, he didn't know what the other side was going to be like. And I've used that example, but I want us to really look at it. If this is our problem, it looks a whole lot different from this side than it does from this side. We see Abraham's problem from here. We see the beginning, we see the end, we see the situation, and we go, oh, that's no big deal. But wait till it happens to us. It's a big deal. And that's the times when we look and we go, God, this just doesn't make sense. Has anybody ever thought that? This just doesn't make sense. What is happening here? It doesn't match up with what your promise is to me. And Abraham, in all his wisdom, I'm sure he looked and said, God, are you sure? But he did it anyway. God said go. And in chapter 22, verse 4, we'll read 4 through 6. God says go, and this is what Abraham said. And Abraham did. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. God said go. Abraham went. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Now, let's not think of Isaac as we see him in some of the storybooks as children, that he's this like five or six-year-old boy who was totally incapable of doing anything about this. The Bible speaks of him as a boy in the NIV, It speaks of him as a lad in the King James Version. But both of those in that time refer to someone that was old enough to serve in the military. He was obviously not a little tiny boy because it says that Abraham gave him the wood for the sacrifice to carry. And there had to be a pretty good load of wood to burn an entire sacrifice up, to get a fire going that good. So he wasn't a little baby boy. He was probably in his late teens, maybe his early 20s. Regardless how old he was, we know that he was old enough to know what was going on. And from what the Bible says and from all the appearances that we see, Abraham went along willingly and didn't put up a fight. His father said, we're going to go over there. And Isaac said, okay, I'll go with you. His obedience, I believe, also showed that Isaac had confidence in God. I believe it shows that somewhere in Isaac's life, Abraham had taught him to trust God. I'm sure that that sometime in Isaac's life, Abraham had sat down and told him the story of how he came about. And how that God made this promise to him, and it came to pass even though it looked impossible. And because of that, Isaac had faith too. You might say this was probably one of Isaac's greatest days, was the fact that he went along with what God spoke to his father about. Back to verse 7. 
Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I'm carrying this, this big old bundle of sticks here, and you have that stick that has the fire on it, and you've got that knife in your hand. I'm seeing everything but the sacrifice here. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. You know what? That was enough. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I cannot imagine what would go through a father's mind at this point. Now, I will say this to each of you here that are here this morning, anyone that listens to this on a CD or listens to it online, I wouldn't do this. Abraham did it because he knew absolutely that God was speaking to him. But in today's society, there's a lot of just crazy people out there that blame a lot of these things on God. If you step out to do something like that, you better make sure it's God talking to you. That's kind of a disclaimer there. He was humble and obedient to his father. That's exactly right. But despite the magnitude of what was going on, Abraham followed through with exactly what God told him to do. Now, let's go back to this journey. It says on the third day that Abraham saw where they were going. They had traveled three days. In that three-day period of time, there was an awful lot of time to think about it. You had three days of walking to think that, God, are you sure this is what you really want? And all of those things go through your mind. <clears throat> but Abraham remained committed to what God had said. As he went on that journey, I'm, I'm sure that there were times that Abraham would look over at his son and this thought would come to his mind. When you go home, Abraham, what are you going to tell this boy's mother? How are you going to explain this to his mother that this is the child that God promised you and was all of these promises for all these descendants and you did what? And what about your neighbors? Your neighbors are going to look at you and say, here's this guy Abraham that professed to be such a holy man, and he killed his son. When we go through things in our life, a lot of times the things that bother us the most is what is everybody else going to think about what I'm going through? What are, what are other people going to say about the problems that I'm going through. 
Are they going to think that I'm not spiritual because this happened to me? Remember we talked about that a little bit ago? Are they going to say, well, if he was a godly person, he wouldn't have to go through these things? And the devil throws all of those things in our path to try to stop us on our journey to where God is taking us. And at any given time, during that three-day journey, it would have been just as easy for Abraham to say, you know what? We're going to turn around and go home. I'm not doing this. God, I just can't do it. And there are many people that have started out serving God, and when it came down to a particular trial or test that God put before them, they said, you know what? I'm just going to quit. God, you might be able to bring me through this, but I'm just going to quit. I'm done. That's exactly right. That's right. Faith is great. Faith is essential to our walk with God. But there comes a time that when God says that we need to do something, we have to actually step up and go do it. It's too easy for some people to say, well, I'm just, I'm just going to pray about it. And then God says, well, here's what I want you to do for the answer. Well, no, I'm just going to pray about it. And we get stuck in this prayer mode, but the Bible says that faith without works is dead. So as Abraham comes up on this place, I love this part of this story. He leaves his servants there, and in fact, he goes one step further. He turns around to them and says, you stay here, the boy and I, are going to go over there and worship, and we'll be back. We will be back. That is some incredible faith. I've walked for three days to get here. I have waited for 120 years, maybe, to have this son. He is my only son, and God told me to walk three days to this area and put him on an altar and sacrifice him. And you know what? You wait here. We'll be back. That right there is the kind of faith that we need to have in our life. And you say, well, do you have that kind of faith? I would like to think that I do. Do I? I don't think so. I'm working on that. That's right. I have one son. Would I be able to trust God? I just ask God, don't ever put me in that position. I just don't know what I would do. Yeah, exactly. That's right. So, let's read Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. This is kind of a commentary that Paul wrote on this, this story. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice... He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. 
And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham's faith was in this. God, I believe enough that if, if I have to go through with this and kill my son, you'll raise him from the dead. Had Abraham ever seen somebody raised from the dead? Probably not. I don't see anywhere up until that time that anybody had been raised from the dead. But Abraham said such a strong faith that God, whatever happens, I believe you'll take care of it. That was your promise, and if you promised it, it will happen. Job said in all of the, in the midst of his troubles, he said, even if God slays me, I'm still going to trust him. His wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job said, nope, not going to do it. I'll sit here until I die. And if I die, I'll die trusting God. That's a hard place to be in. Especially in, a, in the world we live in today where we can push a button and get just about anything we want. We can sit in a chair in our living room and we can watch 400 and some channels on TV. We can order a movie just by pushing a button. We can drive up to the side of a building and ask for food and they'll hand it out a window to us. We're so used to having everything right there when we want it, when we say, we can pick up the phone and call somebody and say, I want you to bring a pizza over to my house. And you know what? In a few minutes, hopefully, it will be there. We get so used to having what we want when we want it that we try to fit God into that same pattern. And we try to turn God into dominoes. 20 minutes or less, or it's free. God, I'm praying for this, and you have about 20 minutes to get it done, or I'm going to call somebody else. And if it doesn't get done in that amount of time, I'm going to expect something. Why? Because that's the way we look at the world. God is not that way. God's ways, the Bible says, are above our ways. The way when God, when we think it should happen, it won't always happen. Look at Abraham. Here's a 120-year-old man that's getting ready to kill his only son that all the promises are promised through. So they head up the mountain. It says that Isaac's carrying the wood. Abraham's carrying the, the knife for the sacrifice. And he's carrying the fire to light the, the wood on fire. And here's the sacrifice. Look at this analogy here. The sacrifice is carrying the wood for his sacrifice. Jesus Christ carried his cross to be the ultimate sacrifice. And I'm sure the human side of Jesus Christ, as he was walking towards where he was going to be crucified, that human side is saying, why am I doing this? These people don't even like me. They're spitting on me. They're calling me names. I don't have to put up with this. 
Isaac notices that there's something missing in this equation. He goes, uh, Dad, I see all the stuff that you normally have around for a, when you do the sacrifice thing, but where's the lamb? That's right. That's exactly right. Obedience is better than sacrifice. He looks around and says, well, where's the lamb? And Abraham's answer to him is absolutely profound. He says, God will provide it. Don't worry about it. God will take care of it. In fact, he said, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. And I'm sure that somewhere in Abraham's heart, he had that feeling that we get when we feel like it's all lost. It's all for nothing. And even though he trusted God, each step had to get a little bit harder to take as they got closer to that place. And in his mind, he's thinking, God, are you sure? Are you sure? Dad, where's the sacrifice? Don't worry about it, son. God will take care of it. But I think, I, I, I believe Abraham looked at it this way. I'm climbing up this side of the mountain. While I'm going up this side, God's headed up this side and he's going to meet me up there. And when we get there, it's all going to be okay. How else could you do it? So they go up this mountain. It says that Abraham put the build an altar. He put the wood on there. And then it came that time for the sacrifice. And he looks at Isaac and says, I need you to get up on the altar. That right there is the point that a lot of us reach in our life when we're faced with a trial. And it's at that point we have to make a decision, do I really trust God or has this just been something I've been going along with? exactly right exactly right so Isaac gets up on the up on the altar and it says that Abraham raised the knife to kill the sacrifice and that's where we are right now And all of these things are flashing through Abraham's mind. I remember when Isaac took his first steps. I remember when he said his first word. I remember going and watching play peewee baseball. I remember when he fell down and broke his arm. We had to take him to the emergency room. And all of these things are going through Abraham's mind. I know he didn't really do that. But all of the events of his childhood are going through Abraham's mind. And he goes, God, I'm willing. 
Genesis 22 and 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And again, just like at the very beginning of the story, Abraham says, here I am. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld me from me, your son, your only son. Abraham looked and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Just as Abraham is ready to plunge this knife into his son to kill him. This voice speaks, Abraham, don't do it. You've passed the test. That was the test. And you've passed it. That's right. Now, in this circumstance right here, I think the only person that was surprised, or persons, would be Abraham and Isaac. God knew what the outcome was going to be. God knew how it was going to end. What he wanted to see is what Abraham's reaction would be when God asked him to do something. God knows the end of whatever you're facing right now. He doesn't just see it from this side or from that side or from that side. He sees it from up here and he sees way beyond that problem. And he knows sometimes that we need to go through this to get to someplace else. Think of the faith that it built Not just in Abraham, he was old already. But in this young man, Isaac, as he grew up, do you think he trusted God? How much easier was it for Isaac to trust God after these events took place? The Bible says that Abraham had showed that he feared God. In the Old Testament... Fear, fearing God, meant to follow Him in absolute obedience. It didn't mean to hunker down and cower down in fear. It meant that they followed after God in absolute obedience. Whatever God said do, they went and did it. When the children of Israel finally made this, this long journey over the years down through Egypt and then back up into Canaan, into the land that they were promised, there was this city they came to called Jericho. And God told them to go walk around the walls of this city. And he gave them all the instructions how to do it. Walk around the walls. Do it seven days. And then on the last day, the last time you walk around it, you you holler and blow these trumpets. And the walls will fall down. Right. About the fifth day of walking around those walls, 
you know there were some people going, this is just stupid. <laughs> Who in the world does Joshua think he is? He has us out here walking around the walls of the city and telling us that these walls are going to fall down. He is out of his mind. What does Pastor Magine think he is doing? He has brought up some things recently that I just can't believe he said. Is he out of his mind? You know what? In the time that God said, what he said would happen, happened just like he said. Had they stopped on the sixth day, those walls wouldn't have fallen down. Why? God spoke to the man who was leading the people. He said, this is what you need to tell the people. And when they do it, I will show you that I'm God. When Pastor Magine stands in this pulpit, he might come up with some things and say some things that we look at and go, okay, never seen that done before. You know what? These people never seen a time when you could walk around a wall in the cities, walk around a city and the walls fall down. But they did it. And if God speaks to our pastor and says, folks, this is what we need to do. I am speaking as God spoke to me. Then we need to be just silly enough to do it. And he didn't pay me to say that. I promise. So after God stops him, Abraham sees a ram in the thicket, and he sacrifices that, that ram instead of his son. And you know what? Look at the, again, how this follows through. That same substitutionary sacrifice thing would take place all through the Old Testament. At some place, the law was given. And for sacrificing, or for sins, the, the priest would take a, a lamb or a bullock or whatever the animal happened to be. Most of the time it was a lamb. And he would sacrifice that as people would bring it. And it would roll their sins ahead till the next year. And then the next year they'd have to come back and do it again. They'd sacrifice a lamb. But this was the first time that there was this substitution of a sacrifice for someone else. And then after that all took place, there was this ultimate sacrifice, and that was Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ. He had no sin. He didn't deserve to die. But he was the substitution for our sins. And I believe that Abraham, even way back in the Old Testament, caught a glimpse of resurrection. 
Because if you look back in, in the, the scripture we read in Hebrews 11 and 19, he said, you know what? I'm just going to believe that even if I do have to offer up my son, God will raise him from the dead. So he sacrificed the lamb. And Abraham looks at this place. And he calls it, in the New International Version, he calls it, the Lord will provide. In the King James Version, it was called Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. Now, interestingly enough, Jehovah Jireh also means the Lord will be seen. It can be translated as the Lord will be seen. And God was not just seen on the mountain in Abraham's trial. God will be seen in the mountain of your trial. Romans 8 and 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That's a promise. God will provide. He gave up his own son for you. Why would you think that he won't provide for your need? If he was willing to do that, he was willing to go through what, with what he would not even ask Abraham to go through with. But God went through with that. Why would we ever question whether he loves us or not? I believe that the, the expression or the phrase and what Abraham named that area and called it Jehovah Jireh, the, the Lord will provide or the Lord will be seen. I think that came to his mind a long time before that very instant. Instance, I believe that as he walked for those three days, that thought had to be going over in his mind over and over. The Lord will provide. I know God will be there when I get there. Whatever happens, God, I know that you'll be there. I think that was the only thought that could have kept him on his journey without wavering. And somewhere in there, the reasoning in his mind was... If you slay your son, then how can God keep his promises to you? You're going to mess this all up, Abraham. And the only thing I think he said back was, God will provide. Abraham, why don't you turn around and go back? can't do that. Why not? God told me to do this. Yeah, but this is stupid. You're going to kill your only son, and he's the means for all these promises. I know. God will provide. I know when I get there, God's going to be there. You're out of your mind. And there are times when we have to go on nothing but faith. We won't always see the path like we see it. We look at High Point Church, and it's not where we want it to be. But we have a vision of where we want to be and need to be and where God wants us to be. And I believe the way we will get there 
is we're going to have to walk by faith some. We're going to have to step out of what's comfortable. We're going to have to step out of what we're used to. Because had Abraham said, you know what? I don't really think I want to go to that place. It's three days walk. I'm pretty comfortable right here. I have servants. I have a place to live. We have plenty of food. God, get somebody else. I'm just going to stay here. And we do the same thing in our service for God sometimes. We sit on a pew and God speaks to us and says, I want you to get up and do this. I want you to go out and do something you've never done before. I want you to go and and work in this outreach ministry and invite people to church and knock on doors. I want you to to witness to people. Yeah, I can um, I can see that guy. But um I'm pretty comfortable right here. I kind of like this pew. I think I'll just stay here. Abraham only received the blessings because he stepped out on the promises. Three words in Genesis 22 and 1. God tested Abraham. Without those three words, what Abraham went through would seem to be just a mean-spirited trick. You could say amen. It's true. Had there not been those three words, it would have just seemed like there's this cruel God somewhere that just made him do this. But the Bible says God tested Abraham. And there was a reason. Because when Abraham set out to do it, he didn't know that God was going to stop him. And sometimes the things that we go through, they seem illogical to us. We might be overwhelmed. Maybe we have a a family member dies, a parent, a spouse, a child. Maybe all of those things right around the same time. And then on top of that, we end up with these financial problems because of that. And we look around at the situation and we go, God, this can't be your will. How could you do this to me? It's not fair. Deuteronomy 13 and 3. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love Him with all your heart and with all your soul. What are you willing to sacrifice for your God? How far would you go out of your comfort zone to do what God wants you to do? There might be times that God separates us from some things. And He does it maybe because these things have taken the priority in our life. And He wants us to come back 
so that we can see that he really should be the priority. You see, at the point where Abraham had that knife raised ready to kill his son, he had to have complete trust in God. God, you promised that you would bless me and that my descendants would be as the stars of the sky. I remember that night you took me outside and I looked up in the sky and I couldn't even count how many stars there were. And you said that my descendants would be that many. You said it would be like the sands of the sea and this is my only son. But it was your promise. See, I believe that sometimes our testing is less important than our reaction to the test. God puts us in situations, I believe, or allows situations to happen, not so much so He can see, He already knows how we're going to react, but so that we can see how that we react. Not that, that he can see if he can fix it. I'll put you in this awkward position and then I'll see if I can bail you out. That's not it. It's so that we can be in that position to know that he can. He already knows he can. He already knows that whatever situation in your life that you are facing that looks insurmountable, I can't do it. God, this is impossible. He already knows the solution. He just wants us to see that He was the solution. As we sit here this morning, maybe we're going through an illness. Maybe you're going through an illness that that you have suffered with. Maybe it's a friend or a relative that's going through something. And we see somebody that it, it just, we question, God, why? Why does this happen? I'm not going to stand here today and try to give you answers to all that. I'm not God. I will tell you this, that if we are trusting in God completely, I'll tell you a story. My friend Gary was talking to a man at the foot, at a football game the other night. And this is a, a young man. And he was diagnosed with, he had a, a knot on the back of his knee. And they thought it was just a cyst or something. The doctor calls him and, and just tells him up front, this is the worst type of cancer that you can have. There's about a 15% survival rate. He told Gary, he said, you know what? My wife said, well, what do you think? He said, I think I feel sorry for the other 85%. He said, let me ask you this. What's the worst thing that could happen? I go to heaven? And when we get to that point in our life, we know that we've trusted God. I believe that's why Job said, if he slays me, I'll still trust him. 
Because then I won't even have to deal with this stuff anymore. It'll all be over. If you're in a situation that seems like it's impossible, don't let go of God. Hold on to Him even tighter. Because what is the worst that could happen? You go to heaven? Sometimes our trials cause us to see that our priorities might not be exactly where they should be. And God allows things to happen to help us to get our priorities back in order. But here's the thing. We know we can trust God. Because of what it says in here. We see person after person after person that trusted God and God never failed them. Now, there are many of those people that after He 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 promised them things and they came about and He promised them things and they came about. And if you look time and time again in the, in the Old Testament, it says that at such and such an age, so and so died. Well, then God let them down. No. The promises were still true. Even Job died at some point. But when he died, he died knowing that God could bring him through whatever he went through. Not just the Bible, but we know in our own lives what God has brought us through. And that should build our faith. There's a, there's a page in your, in your quarterly, and it, it asks a couple questions. One of them says, I believe that God is testing me through... And then you fill in the blank. Now, that part's easy. The next part's the hard part. It says, I know I can trust Him during my times of testing because... And you know what? That part's easy too. Because He's never failed yet. His promises are true. So I know I can trust Him in whatever I'm going through. Abraham's trials taught him more of God than he would have ever learned had he not gone through them. Pack up and move from Terah over to Canaan. Okay. You're going to have a son. He falls down laughing on his face. I'm a hundred years old, Lord. Please. Let me help you out here. He finally has this son, and now God wants him to go sacrifice him. God provides a sacrifice. I believe when Abraham died and he laid down and drew his last breath, he knew that all through his life, God, without a doubt, had been there every step of the way. And maybe you've, you've got a promise from God. And maybe it's, it's a word that you have held dear to your heart and you know that God's promised it to you. Maybe you've waited for, for days or weeks or months or years for this promise to come about. And every day 
When you get down in your prayer time, you ask God to bring it about. But you sit here this morning and you're more disheartened than ever because you haven't seen it happen. Because it's just one more day and now it seems even more unlikely because another day's passed. That's right. I look at Brother Wiley, who's not here this morning, and, and I know that he has a wife that prayed for him for years and years and years, was faithful to church, was there any time the doors were open, and prayed for salvation for her husband. And there were probably times when it just seemed like, I don't get it, God. You're not going to do this, are you? But it was in God's time when God was ready. That's when Wiley walked in the door and walked up to Bishop Goldsberry and said, I want to be baptized. And he, at that point, repented of his sins and God forgave him of everything he'd ever done. You know what? He's a different man. But look at the testimony that he has of what God can do. Look at the testimony that Abraham and Isaac had for the rest of their lives of what God can do if somebody stays the course and believes the promises. Isaiah 55 and 8 says that God's ways are are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Why would we think that God has to think like us? He's God. I'm glad He doesn't think like me. We try to put him into a something that we can understand. We try to shrink him down so that we can believe that he's there. It's hard for us to imagine that he's everywhere. God has a wise purpose in view for your life. He knows the way that you're going to take. And he knows how to work out every single detail of the situation. Let me read you a quote from John Wesley. John Wesley had a a brother named Charles Wesley. This is his quote. Among the many difficulties of our early ministry, my brother Charles often said, If the Lord would give me wings, I'd fly. I used to answer, If God bids me fly, I will trust Him for the wings. Leave it with three things. He will provide. 
He does all things well. And he will not fail you. God bless you. Let's take about five minutes and then we'll...